0: So I've been spending a few weeks in 1 Corinthians, Um, there's a little block we're in in the middle of now, 12 to 14, where the big question is, uh, it's about spirituality. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? What does it mean for our church to be a spiritual church? Or perhaps a little more uh, accurately, what does it look like to be spiritual? It's a big question that uh, many people in our uh, society are asking. Um, what is it, how can I be a spiritual person? How, how can I connect with that something that's bigger than me? Um, and they even um, got lots of ideas about how that, how that should look concretely. Um, everything from, you know, kind of your crystals and your dream catches um, through to your kind of, just your corporate mindfulness training thing. These kind of different ways of thinking about spirituality and what it should look like. Uh, the church in Corinth have got plenty of ideas about what Christian spirituality should look like. Um, And it's mostly around kind of gifts. Gifts is the main thing. It's going to look like spiritual gifts, these God-given abilities. But Paul has begun to say, well, it's not that simple. Last week, you'll remember he said, uh, actually, you know what? The the first sign of someone being spiritual in a Christian sense is that they call Jesus Lord. Uh, And then he said, we've got to think about the context as well. We're actually by the Spirit part of one body, the body of Christ, each gifted in different ways. And this week, chapter 13, as you've already heard, um, he says something that might seem a little bit whatever, but it's really important. The major sign of Christian spirituality is love. And the first reason he says that is because without love, the gifted person is nothing. Nothing. I mean, what, what did you think of the Christians in the first three verses? Pretty impressive, right? Have a look with me from, from verse 1. This is an impressive Christian. Someone who speaks human or angelic languages. In verse 2, they have the gift of prophecy. They understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and have all faith so that they can move mountains, donate all their goods to feed the poor. They give over their body. This is, this is an impressive Christian, right? This is the person in the congregation you just think. I mean, I'm not even near them. They're like super spiritual giant, and here's little old me. But they're missing something, aren't they? Just one thing, one little thing. Love. They're doing all those things, not for others, but for themselves. Not out of love, but selfishly. And what's Paul's conclusion? What's the result? you actually... Pay attention, because it's not actually that all that they do is useless, is it? That's not the result. The result is not what the, that not what the, they what they do is useless. God can still use their gifts. It's actually much more devastating than that. The result is they are nothing. All they are is a clanging gong. They are nobody. You can imagine the person who um, takes all that they have, the the wealthy person. They they come to Winter Appeal next Saturday, and they just go, I'm just going to sign it all over. Give everything to the poor. Or they go to the streets of Kolkata and and just give it all away. Give their life. Ultimately, not out of love, though. And the world thinks they're brilliant, and they're, they're the Times Person of the Year and all this kind of thing, and yet they die and go to heaven, and God says, who are you? Oh, yeah. You know, all that stuff you did. It's a bit whatever, without love. I used to play um, drums at my church when I was growing up, and we had this excellent drum kit with all these cymbals. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. So many drums, I could hit anything. Um, And I remember once after rehearsal, just before church started, um, the band leader was praying, and he prayed verse 1. And I think he meant it for all of us. But, um, you know, prayed that we wouldn't just be sounding gongs or clanging cymbals. I was the drummer. I took it personally. Um, How could I not? Um, How could I not? Because it was true as well. Um, I was really just playing to be seen to some extent. I I wasn't playing out of love to help others. And I kind of felt the rebuke. Um, And I think this is meant to be a rebuke, this section, actually. It's a gentle rebuke. So Paul says it all in first person. If I, if I. But really, it's a rebuke. Um, the Corinthians are saying, you know, to be a spiritual person, it's all about being really gifted. And Paul says, you know what? You can have all the gifts in the world. And if you don't have love, you're a nothing. It's not about that. And I wonder if there's a gentle rebuke here for us as well. Do we serve? Do we use our gifts? Do we practice our gifts Our love? Or is there a certain level of self-interest? I know that I'm self-interested when I'm, when I'm busily with a question, what do people think of me? What do they think of my performance? Then I know I'm doing it for me. But more than just a rebuke, there's also an instruction here. When it comes to using gifts, they must be directed by love. So we're to let love shape how we use our gifts for each other. We're to let love shape when we use our gifts, there might, there might be times where it's not appropriate. We should let love tell us which gifts to pursue. So Matt Bonaventura, here this week, he, uh, he's very gifted on the piano, but we don't need pianists right now. So he can play a bit of guitar, that's what the need is. He loves us, he wants to serve us, so he plays guitar for us. Thank you, Matt. Um, let love determine which gifts we use, how we use them, when we use them. Lots of us could be examples of that. Because the maths of Christian spirituality is ultimately this. 4,000 gifts minus love equals zero. Love is essential. But what is love? Well, that's where Paul goes next. And let me put it like this. Real spiritual love is is not pink. That's how someone summarized it this week. I like that. It's not pink. Let's read from verse 4. Have a look at this. It's maybe not a description of what love is, but what love looks like. From verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The classic wedding reading, isn't it? Um, Not the first three verses. They're a bit weird. Just that bit. I was at a wedding recently um, and I was asked to read this section. It was a non-Christian wedding and there was like you know, the whole ceremony, all ten minutes of it, were, were all kind of this kind of fluffy gobbledygook about fluffy love. Do you know the sort of thing I'm talking about? And then I read this thing, and it was just like, what? Chalk and cheese. They're so different. It's especially strange because I don't even think that's what the world thinks love is, really. I, um, I asked my hive group this week, if you were the world out there, how would you write these verses? Love is... And we said, well, there's probably a few things we'd agree with. The world would agree, patience and kindness and all the rest... But what else would they say? Love is mostly about romance. It's mostly about marriage, maybe family. Love is not a choice. It's a feeling that comes over you, and you can fall in love, and you can fall out of love. Love is not particularly selfless. It gives and takes. Love is not overly concerned with truth. Whatever makes you happy, whatever makes us feel good and keeps the peace. This is so different, isn't it? It's radically different. That's why at this wedding it was so bizarre. When we read this in, in our Hive group, Sally said, love is not pink. <laughs> well, good, good good summary. I like that. The main thing I notice as I read those verses is that action is that, sorry, love is described not as a sentiment but an action, isn't it? It's so different to how our world thinks about it. I mean, the Apostle Paul knows all about affection for people. He has a big heart for people. But it's not what he talks about here. He's talking about active love. Not a thing you fall into and fall out of. But a choice you make. A choice you keep making. To act. Love is selfless. Kind, not boastful, not selfish. Selfish. Love is moral. That's strange, isn't it? That's not how we think of love. does not act improperly, finds no joy in unrighteousness. You can't say you're loving someone when you're acting immorally. That's a different thing, isn't it? Love is tough. It always it bears all things sorry. It doesn't give up, it's tenacious, it is patient. And once again, I think this is a gentle rebuke to the Corinthians. They think they're so spiritual, and yet they're not doing this. You read the rest of the letter, you can see they're not doing this, are they? I wonder, is it a gentle rebuke to us as well? How's our love going? More on that later. It is a rebuke, but more on that later. It's done something else for me this week, actually, reading this little section, these three verses. Um, You know that... um, you know, I'm going to assume you know what I'm talking about here. Um, people in your life who, they're just a little bit annoying. And, um, you know, they're kind of engaging with them and you're thinking, oh, no, I don't, can, can you go away? Um, I, don't want to, I don't want to talk to you. But on the outside, hey, good to see you. How are you going? You know, this sort of thing. Yeah, inside, outside, very different. Um, and then afterwards, afterwards, if you're like me afterwards, you're thinking, Oh man, where was my motivation there? Was it love? Was I feeling love? Was there, was there affection in my heart for that person? I don't think there was. I'm not sure. Although I was feeling positive. Was that just the supper I'd eaten? I'm not sure. And you kind of, you go into this labyrinth of self-introspection about your motivations. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe. Some of us are thinking, what do you know? No. But maybe you do. I, I I've, I've found this passage kind of short circuits that to some extent. Because... Paul says love is action. He doesn't ask me about the affections in my heart and my motivation, right? That's not where he is. So the question is, did I act lovingly towards that annoying person? Yes? Kind of? Good. That's good. I mean, Paul knows about affection. He wants us to feel affection for people. We can pray for that. We can ask Perhaps affection would follow action, as I found it's done. I've tried to love people. I've acted in love, and affection has followed. But the thing Paul wants to focus on is the action, isn't it? Selfless, moral, tough, active love. That's the work of the Spirit among us, helping us to love. Spirituality is seen in love. Not pink love, mind you, but real active love. Well, Paul wants to close by giving us one more reason to love, one reason why love is greatest, and that is because it never ends. So look with me at verse 8, verse 8 of chapter 13. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Love is greater and more important than all the gifts because it never ends. Um, When I was a kid, I'm not sure about you, but I used to think the whole world loved me. Um, Everyone was on my team. Everyone, it was a big hug. The world loved me. Um, And then I grew up. Uh, I used to, when I was young, I used to, everything, every decision was about what's going to be most fun. That was my sole decision making platform. And then I grew up. Um, recently, um, my young, third son, William, saw this slightly overweight council worker and just yelled out, Mommy, that man's fat! Oh, and he's done it several times since. Uh, he'll grow up. That's right, he will grow up. Um, but, friends, these are the things of childhood, aren't they? There's nothing, there's nothing kind of wrong. Maybe a little bit wrong, but nothing really wrong about those sorts of things. They belong to childhood. That's what it is to be a child. Uh, It's normal for kids. But you grow out of those things, don't you? You're in childhood, and then you become an adult and boring, maybe. Friends, gifts kind of belong in the era, the age of our childhood. But one day we're going to grow up. Verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. See, we're in the age of childhood, or the age of the partial, where where we know God, we really do genuinely, truly know God, but only partially. We haven't got the full picture. We're in this age of childhood, the age of partiality, where we're kind of... We're grasping for fullness. We're, we're kind of working towards a fuller experience of God. And that's actually what the gifts are all about. They're helping us seek after God, get a bit more of God, a bit more of him, a bit of fullness of God. They're helping us in our mission to serve God and to help and love each other towards that end. But it's the age of the partial. It's the age of our childhood. We don't have it in completion And yet, verse 10, the perfect will come and the partial will come to an end. And have a look in verse 12. Verse 12, for now we see indistinctly as in a mirror. They used to have just polished metal mirrors. You couldn't quite see yourself that well. For now we we see indistinctly as in a mirror. But then, in the age of perfection, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Friends, how well does God know you? Pretty well, you think? So we will know him. And it's not just about knowing facts about God, but, but actually knowing God, having a kind of level of intimacy. You know how it's kind of nice to call your loved ones on the phone but it's a totally different order of things to see them face-to-face, yeah? We're going to see God face-to-face, friends. The time of partiality, the time of the childhood is finished, will finish, sorry, and we will see him face-to-face. What's that going to be like? We will know him as we are known. That's our future. If you're not a Christian here, and this all sounds a bit strange to you, this is actually the Christian expectation. We don't deserve to see God. We don't deserve to be in His presence. Who are we? And yet, He is incredibly gracious, incredibly kind to us. And this is our future. All the gifts that He gives us are helping us grasp towards that. But one day, one day the future will arrive. We'll grow up and leave behind the things of our childhood. One theologian, Karl Barth, put it like this. He said, when the sun rises, you turn off the lights, right? The lights are very helpful when it's dark, but when the sun rises, you don't need them anymore. They've finished their job. When Jesus returns, when we see him face to face, all the gifts will have done their job. You don't need them anymore. But what will remain? Love. It won't have finished its job. It'll just be getting started. It'll just be winding up we'll suddenly realize that it's the very thing we were always made for. And here we are having it in completion, completely with our Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it's going to be like? I mean, we've, we've begun to know the love of our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as Renee read out, this is how we know what love is. Uh, sorry, God proved his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that and yet we don't know it in completion, do we? One day we will get to know that love more and more and deeper and deeper. I believe God's love is eternal and infinite, which means for all of eternity, we will never get to the bottom of it. But all the time we will be getting overwhelmed with more and more fresh revelations of God's love for us, like waves in the sea. Boom. Boom, the love is deeper than you realize. Deeper, deeper, forever and ever and ever into God's love. Deeper and deeper. In Hive Group this week, someone, as we read this, was just reflecting on how good it will be um, to have no more shame. That kind of subconscious thought that somehow I'm not right. I'm not good. I don't have it all. It'll be gone. And one day, and the love won't just be between us and God. It'll be a love shared together. Again, I didn't spot this, but my group pointed out, how good will that be? The love we share between each other will be pure and perfect. It'll be verse 4 to 7 kind of love. No more awkwardness in your relationships. No more kind of difficulties, no challenges. Well, that's the love we're working towards. That's our future. And so here's the question. Here's the question. If that is our future, friends, if that's what God is doing for us by his spirit, if that's what's happening, that's the future, what is the most spiritual thing we can be doing right now? How can we be bringing that future into the present by the spirit? Through the exercise of our gifts? Is that the main thing? Don Carson says this quote on the screen. Hopefully. I'll just read it. The greatest evidence that heaven has invaded our sphere, that the Spirit has been poured out upon us, that we are citizens of a kingdom not yet consummated, the greatest evidence is Christian love. Christian love is a foretaste of eternity, friends. So we do not measure our spirituality simply By our gifting. That's not how it's measured. But by love. Next week, chapter 14, verse 1, we're going to be told the two aren't separate. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. But love comes first. Love drives the gifts. Which gifts we seek and how we use them. But love is our goal today because it is our future forever. Real love, not pink love. Real active love. And so we're going to end by just looking back at verses 4 to 7. And I'm not going to talk much more. I'm going to ask you to look at verses 4 to 7 and work out what do you need to work on? Practically, what's one area of love that you need the Spirit's help with? That you might be a spiritual person. That our church might be more alive by the Spirit. Have a think on that. And then we're going to have open prayer, actually, where we can pray about these things. Have a think about that. If you're not yet someone who knows God's love, I'd encourage you to turn to page 1039 and look at Romans 5, 8. Otherwise, have a look at those verses and reflect. I'm going to ask the band to jump up. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then there'll be a time of open prayer. So please pray about those things for yourself and our church. Or perhaps some of the other things that have been mentioned uh, this evening. But let me pray. Father, we're so very thankful for your love for us. Um, Lord, we did nothing to deserve it. Um, So so very thankful for your grace. Father, we do pray, please, that you'd be at work among us by your spirit that we would be today what we will one day be, people who truly love. God, help us by your spirit. Amen. Please lead us.